Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello and welcome, everybody. We are one of the premier shows about attracting and sustaining healthy relationships in midlife. I am your host, Sandy Weiner, and I'm a dating and love coach and the founder of Last First Date. And today we have an incredible show coming up. I am excited to be speaking with the founder of the popular website, Esteemology, Savannah Gray. And her topic is how to break the pattern of narcissistic and codependent relationships. And boy, is this a resonant topic for so many people. I have had my own experience with narcissistic relationships and codependency. Didn't even know what that word meant until a few years ago. So we're going to be diving deeply into this topic and really giving you some some real concrete ways to start the process of identifying whether you are codependent, um, you know, how, how to really start to break free. Um, and I... As a dating coach, um, many of my clients come to me after having lots of relationships that have been unhealthy. Um, probably most of their lives they have been stuck in these unhealthy relationships. And and when you start to really uncover the patterns and see your part in it, it's amazing how much you can grow and change and create the healthy relationship that you want so I love connecting the dots and helping people see the origins of all this, and I'm excited to speak to Savannah today about about this in depth. And um, so it's it's this is this is work that is so worth it, ladies and men. And I I believe that the um, that when you also increase your self love, which codependency and being attracted to these types of men or women um, comes from a place of a self love deficit and when you start to increase your self-esteem your self-worth you really begin to attract in everything that's better in your life including your friendships your work situation the amount of money you earn i mean when your value when you value yourself other people value you which brings me to my woman of value retreat and i just want to give a quick shout out that we are having this my annual retreat it's coming up in November uh November 3rd to the 5th so if you're listening to this now in in 2017 it's now September 26th um so we're about a month a little over a month away and it's going to be in Stamford Connecticut about 45 minutes from LaGuardia Airport this is one of my favorite things to do is to help women immerse themselves in valuing themselves. It is a three-day retreat, two and a half days, where you start to identify your unhealthy patterns and you start to really learn how to embrace your self-worth and know what your needs are, know what your feelings are, know how to express them, know how to set clear boundaries at the beginning of a relationship, not six months in or two years in, and then you're going to learn how to understand men and communicate with them on day two, and you're going to learn how to flirt like a woman of value. And um, and I'm bringing in a man panel this year, which I'm really excited about. We're going to have real men so that you can role play with them and ask them questions and get feedback in real time. 
So this is going to be a life-changing event, um, and I will post the notes in, in the show notes about the retreat, so I hope that you will attend. And it's going to be intimate, so I'm only taking 15 maximum, and I like to give a lot of attention to the women who come. This is not one of those giant 200-people events where basically you get lost in the crowd. All right, so speaking of women of value, I'm going to share my woman of value tip of the week, and this week's tip is step number 12 in my 30 steps, and it is to be playful. Why be playful? Because <laughs> when you're super serious all the time and you're talking about, you know, the life events that are hard and and all the, the things that are serious, you really can't connect deeply and authentically um, to each other in a way that feels light and fun. It's not all about the serious. And playfulness is also about flirtation. You might connect with somebody that you just meet, and, and things seem great. You're really connecting, and, and you the person has your must-haves. But there's one thing missing, and that's that you're not really having fun together. And and really, this is something that people underrate in their lives in general. I find that when I assess a client for the first time and we look at all the parts of their lives, the part about fun and recreation gets kind of left off. And we need to give ourselves playfulness and fun, and we need to have it in our relationships. It's It's really what connects us and helps us to thrive. So make sure that you bring play into your life into your daily life, but especially into your dating life. And one last thing before I bring Savannah on is that if you are not yet a member of my private Facebook group, please join me right after the show. Go to Facebook and join Your Last First Date. That's the name of the group, Your Last First Date, and you have to be approved and you have to be a single woman over 40. Um, to join, and it is an amazing, amazing group. We have about 2,000 members now, and we deal with the topics like we're going to be speaking about today, and women can come on and talk about the struggles and the the triumphs that they have, the ones who are in relationships and what they're doing to succeed. So it's a fabulous place, and you get a lot of me in there too. All right, we're introducing Savannah now. She is a freelance writer, a hypnotherapist, a sports fanatic, and a philosopher, and she has a degree in psychology and is the founder of estimology.com. This website is dedicated to educating and healing survivors of abusive relationships, and Savannah is working on an online course that's geared to helping people overcome their codependency. So join me now for episode number 273, How to Break the Pattern of Narcissistic Codependent Relationships. Welcome, Savannah. Hi, Sandy. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for being on the show. So let's start with you. I like to always know what motivates people to do the work that they do. So can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to, to studying codependency and narcissism? Well, I think you nailed it uh, in the intro there. Like most people, uh, I was involved with a narcissist for 10 years. And uh, as I went looking for what's wrong with him, I found out there's something wrong with me. And, you know, that was the big riddle of my life. You know, why is everything always following the same pattern? 
you know, why do I keep attracting the same kind of, of men, the same kind of circumstances? So as soon as I found out what was wrong with him, I also found out what was wrong with me. Mm. So how did you do the work that you did? Well, what I did was I got myself educated. I started uh, reading all about it. I mean, when I looked up the symptoms uh, and I found, you know, the patterns of behavior for narcissistic personality disorder, you know, that doesn't just exist in a vacuum. Um, you know, uh, just like the, the sadist attracts the, the masochist, um, it's it's just the same kind of dance when you attract a when you're attracting a narcissist it doesn't just come out of the blue when you keep attracting you know emotionally unavailable partners uh toxic partners you know yes absolutely you can see that there's something wrong with them but there's also something going on with you that you keep like i said attracting them and you keep staying uh and you keep looking for these types of partners and so in order to uh, change that, to start to attract healthier partners, healthier relationships, you know, I had to do the work uh, to get myself uh, free of all of the uh, restraints uh, and the toxic thinking uh, that went into uh, my codependency. Mm. Yeah, I think when you start to identify, even just labeling um, narcissism. I had a friend who was married to a narcissist for over 30 years. And the end of her marriage, and, and this is very typical, she kept coming back. She kept leaving him, coming back, leaving, coming back. And somebody once said it takes like sometimes seven times. That's a pretty average amount of times that people leave and come back until they have the courage to really break away and leave. And the thing that was sort of the nail in the coffin for her was reading about narcissism and realizing he will never change i have to get out and exactly yeah, yeah that's a, that's it, a it, huge part of it right once you know what you're dealing with because that's the hope right of all codependents that he's going to change or she's going to change mm-hmm. uh and yep. you keep hanging on because codependents they don't act they adapt they're mm-hmm. so used to, uh, you know, as children, you can't leave your environment. You just get conditioned uh, to, to stay, to find ways to survive through it. Um, you know, most people don't know what codependency is. Um, and so it was a, a big shocker to me, you know, when I came upon, you know, this list of, of symptoms, this list of behavior, and I realized, you know, I'm checking all the boxes, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's that aha moment, um, you know. And I think to to understand it, it it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, it, it's a dysfunctional relationship with the self. And mm-hmm. I think that's where, where you begin. You know, people say, well, what is codependency? And, um, you know, it's, it's such a, a broad answer. It's not really easy to define um, but i mean it's it's really sort of an arrested identity development it's getting lost in uh toxic relationships it's not being able to leave um you know because of fears and anxieties uh fear of abandonment um you know believing that you can't do any better it's um you know i think people understand the term uh, of being a doormat 
You know, it's letting mm-hmm. people walk all over you, being used to poor treatment. Um, you know, if if you are mistreated um, in childhood, and, and I'm oversimplifying this, uh, but, you know, you become accustomed to, you, you end up looking for, um, you know, I, I always say the, the uh, relationship you have with your primary caregivers is the blueprint for your adult relationships. And mm-hmm. so if, if poor treatment uh, is something that you've been conditioned to expect in childhood, then that's what you look for in your adult relationships. That's your normal. Mm-hmm. And um, so, Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say... Um, that I think it, it's, it stems really from a, a lack of self-esteem, believing that you're not good enough, you're not worthy of love. Uh, I mean, there's so many elements to this, and it affects your life in so many different ways. And, you know, once you have um, uh, uh, an idea of sort of what's been holding you back, why you sabotage your progress, um, you know, why you keep attracting uh, negative people, negative circumstances, you know, why these things keep happening. Once you understand this, it really opens up, you know, it opens everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, what what happens is I think codependency was very misunderstood. It was sort of the rap that codependency got was, that you had to be the child of an alcoholic parent or a drug addicted parent. Right. Exactly. And I remember reading like Melanie Beattie's book and thinking, Oh, I didn't grow up like that. I, I'm not a codependent. Um, and you know, so it was, it was really an education for me. And, and I think also understanding there was a book I read um, about how to stop da- dating uh, dangerous men. And this uh, by Susan, I, Susan, somebody I forgot, now I'm blinking. But that was a very pivotal book for me because um, it was really about the different types of emotionally dangerous men. And there was, there's actually a book for about women as well. But part of what that book did was it helped me to see not only the, the line in the sand about who was emotionally dangerous to date or be in relationship with, but also the causality, what what made us really not understand what normal is. And I think that new normal that you talk about, that that becomes normal, um, that we don't have the line in the sand. We don't have that, that litmus test for what is healthy and what's not. And so we think we're the problem, right? Absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, um so do you have, I mean, we're, we're discussing what, it, what is codependency now, and I think um, I love the, the codependents don't act, they adapt. And um, it's that they, they sort of, that's the people pleaser, that they morph into something they're not, lose themselves in relationships. Like, if you could give us more, more uh, I know this is like a crash course in codependency and narcissism, <laughs> but... Um, I, it, there's so much to say about this, but if you can give our listeners some more ways that they can identify um, that they are a codependent, what else do we look for? Um, like when you say mistreated the, in childhood, like let's define that first because that's that's something I think we can start there. 
I mean, most people think when you're talking about abusive childhoods, you know, you're talking about being beaten with sticks or locked in closets, uh, but that's not the case. I, I mean, you know, it could be neglect, you know, it could be an emotionally unavailable parent, um, you know, it's it's sort of a, a critical parent, you know, it's, it's sort of a uh, an abandonment uh, feeling. Uh, I think if you have a uh, an emotional manipulator for a parent, you know, you're going to learn really quickly that um, your needs are not important. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you, as a child, you to survive that kind of an environment, you have to learn how to read people, and you have to know uh, if it's safe to approach, when to be invisible. Um, I think uh, you learn, um, uh, you know, to uh, get attention or affection, which all children need, that you have to give more, be more, do more. You learn that love is conditional upon your ability to please. Um, But then again, what pleases an emotional manipulator one day won't please them the next. So you're always jumping Mm -hmm. through these, uh, these hoops. You learn that just being yourself is not good enough. And, you know, Mm -hmm. as children, when you get negative messages, um, you know, it becomes sort of a, a quest for children, right? Is this true? And anytime we're looking for negativity, it's easy to find, mm-hmm. right? You know, I am useless. I am, you know, not good enough. I am lacking. You know, my sister is better looking than me or smarter than me or, you know, um, I think uh, for me, I had a very critical mother uh, who was not emotionally present. And so as a child, you, um, you know, you're going to internalize this because children have this amazing ability to make everything their fault. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, my mother doesn't love me because I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. And it's this internalization that there's something wrong with me. There's something lacking in me. It makes us, as adults, carry around this core belief that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy of, you know, what other people, what healthier people are are worthy of, of good relationships. And so when you come from a place where, you know, you are treated less than, you are treated, um, you know, in an unhealthy manner, you're looking for that. Uh, You know, it becomes your normal, like we said in the intro. Uh, And so you develop a number of symptoms, uh, uh, behavior patterns. And really, when we talk about uh, psychological issues, we're really talking about patterns of behavior. Um, You know, for medical terms, we use symptoms, right? They look for physical symptoms in the body. For uh, mental health, you're looking at patterns of behavior. And so for codependence, I mean, generally you start off with a low self-esteem. And uh, again, it's it's really easy to see um, where this is coming from, and and you actually feel like you're unlovable, like you're inadequate, you're not comfortable in your own skin. Um, you know, you're very used to being shamed, uh, humiliated, insulted, belittled. Um, you know, and so again, that becomes your normal. Um, the people pleasing uh, that you talked about—that's another aspect of it. And you know, this is. Like I said, too, in 
when you're a child, you know, you are trying so hard to get your parents' approval, to get their attention. And so you're jumping through hoop after hoop. Uh, and again, you get conditioned, right? If with your most intimate relationships, uh, I have to jump through these hoops. I have to do more. I have to be more than I am just to be on a level playing field. Uh, the next one is is poor boundaries, which you mentioned. Um, you know, and uh, emotional manipulators don't like boundaries. They want to be able to behave, you know, however they want. They want to be able to take advantage of you. They want to make you responsible. Um, you know, they don't want you to um, have any autonomy. They don't want you to stand up for yourself. Uh, and so as a child, you never learn what boundaries are, um, you know, and, and as a result, you feel responsible for uh, other people's behavior. You feel responsible for their mood or their feeling, and an emotional manipulator wants that. They want you to feel responsible for them. What a better, what a, there's no better way to... Uh, um, to manipulate someone, right, than to make them someone else responsible for, you know, your your whims. Another one is uh-huh. reactivity, and and that is, uh, I call that, um, you know, sometimes you'll have the the inappropriate freakout. It's uh, just another part of the the boundary um, issues where uh, you know you absorb things that don't belong to you. Um, you know, you either take on too much or, you know, you get really defensive. Um, you uh, get really emotional. Your, your feelings can overwhelm you. Um, a big one is caretaking. Um, and caretaking, uh, a lot of people think, you know, uh, that caretaking is is a great thing. You know, it's it's a, a warm, um, nurturing trait. Uh, but there's a difference between caretaking and caregiving. Uh, and caregiving is something that most people will do in their lifetime with, you know, their children uh, or their their elderly parents. You know, and that's just you know uh, taking care of someone because they're not able to do it uh, themselves. Um, you know, out of love with no expectation. Uh, Caretaking is really about control because the codependent feels uh, so inadequate. They have to do more, give more, be more, like I said, that um, they try to become indispensable to their partners. They do so much for them that it gives them the illusion of control. And so they, they... actually seek out people that need fixing. They like that or need that role as the rescuer because that's their only level of power. Another Mm -hmm. one um, is communication problems. Um, So many uh, codependents, um, they just have such a problem communicating. And again, this stems from not being able to uh, freely speak about your needs or your wants as children. Um, so they're afraid to rock the boat. They're afraid to um, 
you know, speak out to anger their partners to, um, you know, they're so used to walking on eggshells and, and keeping everything in. Um, you know, the only healthy form of communication is being direct. And if you can't speak to your partner um, and and indicate to them, you know, this is what I want, this is what I need, you know, it's never going to be uh, a healthy situation uh, for you. You're always going to be that, that eggshell walker. Um, and I think it's really important that codependents learn how um, to um, – to, to be confrontational, and I don't mean that in a, you know, in a negative, assertive, aggressive way. I mean to not be afraid of confrontation, uh, to, mm-hmm. um, you know, if something needs to be said, then they say it. And if you're with a partner where, you know, that's going to evoke some kind of anger, that's a huge red flag. And it's, it's yep. one of the, the symptoms, right, of, of codependency is, is not being able to speak um, in a healthy manner. Um, you know, another one is uh, dependency. I mean, codependents, they fear abandonment. You know, a, a lot of times people will say, well, why do you stay? Why, did, why didn't you just leave? You know, that's a, that's a big one. Uh, because, mm-hmm. I mean, they, you know, anytime they're talking about it, they'll list, you know, a ton of relationship crimes, and, and everybody will say, my gosh, why, why didn't you just go? And, um, you know, there's such a fear uh, of mm-hmm. abandonment, and and that's one of the big reasons why they stay, um, you know. And again, like we said at the beginning, is that they're so used to adapting to negative behavior, to um, their relationships not feeling good, that you know they will stay. And so, you know, a lot of times, um, uh, codependents. I won't say generally because, you know, it's probably about 50-50 of the codependent eventually leaving. But a lot of times, you know, the emotional abuser will leave once they've found someone else. Uh And so the codependent is left in a state of shock um, because they're so dependent on that toxic relationship. And suddenly there's no one else to focus on. They're so other person focused and their identity yeah. is so enmeshed in the relationship that they don't even know who they are. And uh, another uh, symptom would be denial. You know, they think they are so um, giving and loving. And, and this was a big one for me. I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. I thought I was mm-hmm. just a kind person. I thought, you know, I was just warm and nurturing and, you know, um, and and so when I did see uh, these lists of symptoms, I was, you know, it was like a, a huge wake-up call. Mm-hmm. I hear you on that one. I was positive that it was not me at all. Like, I've compromised. I did all the good stuff. I took over when he fell apart. I, 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 and I'm like, oh, yeah. You became so, indispensable. Yeah, and and you know all these things that you mention and boy I can I have a million stories about each one of them and I I was just thinking about a woman whose husband was a narcissist and after I don't know 40 years of marriage I mean they were married a really long time they were on a vacation and he said um I don't think I love you anymore um 
But I'm not sure if I want a divorce yet. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> just like, oh, what? <laughs> and she called me up, hysterical crying. I can't believe he said this to me. And I, I said to her, well, what do you want? And she really couldn't answer that. She had never really looked at what did she want. It was always, what did everybody else want? And, and that was like a huge turning point. And it's it's been probably... I don't know, seven years since the divorce, and boy, is that she she ended up going to therapy and figuring out that she had to work on her codependency. She got so much stronger, and she was the one who just said, listen, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And he said, what happened to you? Like, you turned into a different person. I don't like who you're becoming. Meanwhile, he was having an affair and remarried a month after the divorce was final. But that's a whole other story. And um, So it's it's um and and you know and it's a long process for people to start rebuilding self-worth and um so what are some of the steps you know we don't have time to go into you know it's i think it's pretty obvious why the narcissist and codependents um are attracted to each other maybe briefly talk about that and then um we're almost at the end but we can go a little bit over and just to talk about some steps people can take to manage the codependency so um so let's just go through just quickly why do codependents attract narcissists? How much time have we got? <laughs> we probably have 10 more minutes. Oh boy, we could we could do hours on um, I know, you know, I know. On the, just, the just next sort of understanding the magnetism between the two and how they feed off each other. I think if you could give a really brief and then people can go to your website for more information, but just want to touch on that and then really the I want to go to the how people can manage codependency and start to take some steps to get healthier. Well, I think that I mean both um both uh, the narcissist and the codependent um are obsessed with the relationship. Um you know, they're both um you know, there's a lot of similarities. I think they're they're both um, you know, doing this dance where one is constantly overgiving and one is taking, one is parasitic, one is looking for resources uh, to exploit. Um, I think they both, um, you know, they, they both sort of just become about this relationship. You know, in a healthy relationship, you'll see that people have separate lives, separate friends, separate activities, separate hobbies, with with a codependent narcissistic dynamic it's it's totally involved to the point where um you know you are no longer uh hanging out with friends you're no longer doing what you um enjoy doing um you know you become preoccupied with you know uh meeting uh having your needs met if you're the narcissist or meeting your partner's needs if you're the codependent um, you know, it's a complete uh, sort of domination, submissive sort of power play. Um, you know, it's it's um, uh, total passivity on the part of the, the codependent and total dominance on the part of the narcissist. Um, I think each are trying to change the other. Um, 
And I think that for a narcissist, what they're looking for is, um, I always sort of talk about it like it's it's um, uh, a monster. This is how narcissists explain it to me, where this, this monster constantly needs attention um, and admiration. And so they're constantly looking to feed off of someone. It's it's an exchange of energy, uh, you know, and but it's always one way, right? The energy sucker. Um, you know, and at the end of this, the codependent is just in such a fog uh, and so worn out after just constantly giving, 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 trying to please and never being able to reach that goal. Um, I think, um, you know, as you were saying with your example uh, of your couple, um, you know, once you're out of this, once you're able to see, um, you know, the 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 life on the other side, you, you'll never go back. Once you, you see the mm-hmm. truth, uh, and, and as you said, your friend is so much happier. Um, mm-hmm. And to anybody that is struggling right now with that, I would say, um, you know, it's definitely worth it. Don't stay in a relationship where your needs aren't being met, where you're not happy, where you're taking advantage of, you're being taken advantage of. Um, it's you know, you deserve to be treated as a person of value. And that really starts with you. Um, and I'm going to jump into, um, you know, what you do about this because I know we're so short on time. Um, yeah, thank you. And the, the, the first part of it is, um, you know, getting out of, of denial and realizing that, you know, you have a very real issue. And it affects everything in your life, how you view yourself, how you present yourself to the world, to your partners. It affects the decisions you make, your confidence, your self-esteem, the way you behave, the way you react. Um, I think, um, you know, get out of it. I always say you can't cure a heroin addiction while still taking heroin. And, you know, so you can't cure codependency while you're in a relationship with an emotional manipulator. Uh, so get out, start educating yourself, read blogs, buy books, watch videos, learn everything you can about the issue. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that I deal with with clients is that critical parent voice. And mm-hmm. um, I think when I start talking about it, people will understand the critical parent voice is that voice in your head that's always trying to sabotage you. Its agenda is to keep you where you are, to keep you stuck, to keep that, you know, childhood tape playing over and over again. Uh, it wants to lead you always to a place of hurt, to where your normal is. And um, it does this by uh, creating confusion and doubt, making you feel shame and guilt. It makes you responsible for other people's behavior. It justifies, it minimizes um, and so the first step is to realize that you're not that voice. So when you go no contact, it's that, you know, voice in your head that's trying to say, well, maybe, you know, I could just call him and tell him to pick up his stuff or I'll send him a nonchalant text. You know, it's trying to justify breaking no contact. That's the little voice I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Um, and, so, and so what you do with that voice is you have to get very good at First of all, understanding that you're not that voice. That voice is your codependency. And so um, you want to learn how to recognize it. So uh, I'll use the, the uh, buzzword of 
of, of the year, mindfulness. Uh, be mindful when that voice comes over you. And so, um, you know, you are the observer of this voice, not this voice. So pay attention. Become mindful of when it's in action. Mindful of when it's causing you to have obsessive thoughts. Mindful of when it's trying to make you feel bad. Um, you know, be mindful of it. And so as something comes over you, take a step back and say, whoa, 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 why am I feeling this way? Where are these thoughts coming from? Where is this emotion coming from? And once you are able to, to know what it is, to label it, that's my issue, that's my disease, that's my codependency, it takes away its power. So these thoughts aren't raging along in your head. And so you label it, that's my disease, and which minimizes it, and then you can throw it away. And mm-hmm. so you have to practice this. This is a process. You know, a, a lot of people want to be better overnight. You didn't become codependent overnight, and you won't uh, heal overnight. It's a process of getting into the habit uh, of doing this, of recognizing it. And, I mean, I still get thoughts uh, every once in a while, shaming thoughts. Uh, but I'm able to recognize what it is, and I can immediately just minimize it and throw it away, and focus. Get yeah. back to focusing. I wanna, I wanna really just highlight what you just said about. First of all, this is a great practice to observe, to identify, to label. Um, it puts space between you and the voice, and you realize that you are not the voice. That the voice is outside of you, and and keep it outside. So it's it's also the reaction time and the processing time. And this is something I tell clients all the time that we this is a practice. You know, you've left you spent your whole life in this place and to have self-compassion and forgive yourself for where you were and celebrate the fact that you now have new tools and that the more you practice it, the faster the processing time goes. It's not like oh, I learned this and now I will never have any codependent thoughts again and I am cured, it's the speeding up of the processing time. And and that really, because I still get thoughts and I still have things, you know, sometimes get into self-beat up and then I have the tools to get out. That's the that's Exactly. The, the mindfulness kicks in and you're aware mm-hmm. of what's going on. So it's no longer overwhelming you. And and you're absolutely yep. right. I always say, you know, the subconscious mind learns through repetition, just like if you're a musician. If if I hand you a guitar and I say, play me a song, um, you're going to look at me like, I don't know how to play this, you know, but if I give you a, a month and you keep practicing and practicing, that's the key word there, practice, uh, you know, eventually you'll get it. And just like this behavior, you know, the more you do it, the more it becomes ingrained um, you know, in, inside of you, and you're able to, um, you know, not let it overwhelm you. Um, very quickly, another one is um, the pass back, I call it. And this is where, um, you know, when people are coming at you with their negativity, with, you know, wanting you to take responsibility for them, they want to blame you, um, it's part of the boundary control where you realize, okay, I'm going to be like Teflon because this is not about me, this is about you. Your behavior is about you, not about me. Uh, I'm not responsible for um, how you feel, how you behave, uh, and that's a big one for codependence. Mm-hmm. Um, quickly, yeah, 
I, I just you, want to share a really quick one on this because sure. this is something growing up with narcissism. Um, the other day, my mother called and she um, she was speaking to somebody else on another phone and didn't even answer the phone. She just took it off the hook and <laughs> was talking on her cell phone to somebody else. And then she got on the phone. And I've talked to her about this many times that I really don't want her to pick up the phone if she's not available to talk to me. I'm not going to stay on the other phone waiting. So her response was, you're so sensitive. You're too sensitive. And my old me would have just gotten angry, but the new me <laughs> said, you know what, Mom, you're right. I am sensitive about this issue, and I don't feel respected when you don't hear me. And, and that's, that's a perfect a example yeah, it's a perfect example of learning how to be direct and indicating mm-hmm. your uh, needs and your wants. Uh, perfect. Yes. Yeah. And it's something, again, these are behaviors that you have to learn. You have to keep practicing. Absolutely. And, so, and it's quick, taking a long time for me to get here for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and, yeah, yeah, it's not something you learn overnight, like we said. It is mm-hmm. something that you, you have to learn. Um, you know, the, the last part of this is you have to teach yourself things that you were not taught as a child, like creating mm-hmm. and enforcing boundaries, how to communicate effectively, not being afraid of conflict, how to express your needs and wants, um, mm-hmm. removing toxic people from your life, building your self-esteem and your self-worth, um, and learning that you know, your identity, your self-worth doesn't come from other people, right? They don't have your self-esteem, so you can't get it from them. Um, and, and that's really um, sort of the, you know, just a, a quick, uh, you know, um, look into a lot of the, 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 the behaviors uh, and the way out of it. But you're right, it's absolutely a process, uh, and it mm-hmm. takes a while of just repetition of the healthy behaviors, Yes, absolutely. Um, I, we're going to get cut off in about four minutes, so <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to end without letting people know how to get in touch with you. This is such an important conversation. I wish we had five hours to talk about this, but people can definitely go to your website to learn more. Um, definitely read up on this. This is such an important topic. So, thank you, Savannah. Tell tell people where they can find you. Great. I'm uh, at www.esteemology.com. Uh, I am currently working on, like she said in the beginning, a, an online course. Uh, I am a coach, uh, a relationship coach, uh, a, a codependency coach, uh, and you can find all of that information on my website. Awesome. Well, thank you again for this, this amazing conversation, Savannah, and for doing this incredible work that you do. Oh, you're most welcome, Sandy. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, And thanks, everybody, for listening today. And I hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. 